Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and we're here today to help uh, public, private, and nonprofit organizations get broadband, better broadband, everywhere it needs to be in America. So let's um, talk about libraries. We we have talked about libraries a couple times uh, since I started the show a, a year and a half ago, and we keep coming back to this topic of you know, the library as a central point in most communities and almost a universal stakeholder in a lot of this broadband development. Um, now, what's new as of uh, yesterday, um, we have a new initiative going on to harness the power of TV white space, what some folks call super Wi-Fi, uh, bringing this online as a way to get um, better broadband in the communities and using libraries as the leverage point to to take advantage of that technology. And uh, on my show today is probably our most frequent guest so far, uh, Don Means, who is you know all about the library. So so Don, I, I know we're going to have a little bit short time today, so let's jump right in. Tell everybody who you are, what you do, and let's talk about this latest initiative. Thank you, Craig. Uh, yes, my name is Don Means, and uh, our firm is Digital Village out of Marin County, and we've been working in uh, community uh, telecom infrastructure uh, since the web arrived in the mid-'90s about the notion that, that this is a new infrastructure, this communications infrastructure should be treated in a similar fashion as traditional infrastructure and in that uh, each community is a unique uh, configuration of, of circumstances, topology and density and socioeconomics plus whatever the priorities are of that particular community, however that community uh, being self-defined, a mm -hmm. geographic community is what we're talking about here. And so it right. may be a city, county, region of the state, usually based on how they've done infrastructure projects in the past and that those relationships become sort of the key for, for thinking about this stuff. And uh, that uh, and it basically being unique means that, that you need a specific plan or a strategy for your own, uh, as we call it, telestructure. Uh, and if you don't, somebody else will provide it for you. It's either plan or be planned, as we say, mm -hmm. and that uh, you want to uh, understand the power and the value of, of the, the new communications technologies, not just for the way we generally think about it for, for uh, you know, email and streaming Netflix, uh, but also as a, as a technology that will be embedded in that same traditional uh, infrastructure, the, Smart grid being the most you know, notable example, but smart infrastructure generally is a very, very big deal since we spend trillions of dollars on, on all of our infrastructure components. And if mm -hmm. uh, communications will increasingly be embedded in those to gain productivity and decrease the cost of maintenance and so forth, though it increases the complexity of the, of the kinds of uh, projects that uh, have been done in the past where uh, counties and cities are very conversant in how to let out a contract to lay some asphalt or or put down some conduit. Uh, once you get into uh, information communication technologies, things get a lot more complicated. But yet the, the payoff uh, for uh, using this stuff to, for cost effectiveness is, is so high, it just can't really be resisted. So that's the that's kind of the underlying concept, and it was... Uh, in um, in 07, where we finally discovered that the the public library sits right at the at the hub of all of these uh, the greatest number of these issues of of infrastructure and access and community information and public services uh, online public services and we with in collaboration and, and under sponsorship from the American Library Association, the California State Librarian with support from then FCC Chairman Kevin Martin and Fiber of the Home Council and a number of others, 
developed the concept of fiber to the library, saying that that if we deliver a, a fiber connection to the to the 16,000 plus public libraries in the country, this will be the most economical, the most expedient, and most equitable way to deliver accessible next generation broadband into every community. Mm -hmm. And so we've been we've been uh, pushing that that idea ever since, uh, and as a as a and proposing it as a, a spearhead uh, project to. For, for national policy, uh, our, our thinking is that the library is uniquely uh, situated, that the library is the quintessential community anchor institution since it does some of almost everything or anything that uh, the other anchor institutions do. Um, and as far as providing access to the Internet, the library uh, provides roughly 80 million uh, people internet access. It's, it's just an astounding number mm -hmm. of people that uh, that use or rely on the internet, and about a fourth of those is their sole source of access. And for those of us that you know that use the internet without even thinking about it, uh, to try to realize what that may mean for someone that has no other source, I think it would uh, it would give you pause. Anyway, it's a critical uh, promise and resource, I believe, that we as a society make to ourselves that there is a basic level of service and access to information and communication that anybody should have, uh, no fee uh, uh, for that service. Better mm -hmm. services, of course, you know, they should be they should be paid for and this is some part of a of a market configuration uh, of uh, of paid services because you could say it's free but it's not. You know, somebody's paying for something to make to make a service happen. Right. So, um, that's what led us up to this uh, this project today was that the, that fiber to the library campaign and now uh, this new wireless has come on the scene. Okay, so let's talk about the uh, the announcement, the gigabit um, uh, the gigabit libraries uh, network, and particularly the intersect of TV white space because. Um, before, when I've had guests on the show dealing with TV white space, there is a lot of interest in this technology. So maybe we want to start with maybe like 30 seconds on what is TV white space and then talk about that in the context of uh, the initiative or this latest initiative, the Gigabit Libraries Network. Okay. Uh, TV white space, uh, sometimes called super Wi-Fi. There's a lot of controversy about what it should be called, and mm -hmm. we're trying not to uh, get involved in that, but uh, we are uh, just because <laughs> it, it's happening. We'll we'll go along with whatever the conventional term becomes. Uh, white mm -hmm. space seems pretty simple, and it does, even though it may be confusing to uh, the general population, uh, where super Wi-Fi probably is also confusing. But what this, uh, uh, the way I understand it, is that. Uh, the conversion to digital television from uh, uh, analog broadcast uh, has freed up uh, a range of uh, frequencies, radio frequencies, that can be used for digital wireless communications. And that some of that spectrum has been allocated for unlicensed use. And in this way, white space is similar to Wi-Fi because Wi-Fi is also radio spectrum, which is unlicensed. You don't have to pay anybody to use it. There's no fees attached to it. Nobody nobody owns it. It's just simply shared by people who buy equipment that that uses it. So we buy our you know our access points down at down at the corner store and we plug it in and they just they just go. Uh, white space uses the same principle, uh, though it's very much early in the in the cycle, uh, this equipment is new. It's in uh, early production stages and haven't achieved the sort of economies of scale that we've seen uh, uh, in in traditional Wi-Fi. But it has uh, certain properties which uh, make it especially interesting and valuable. And those are that it's it's a lower frequency than uh, say Wi-Fi and a lot of other. Uh, communications spectrum that we use, 
and by being lower spectrum, it can uh, pass through obstructions and uh, uh, and and even is tolerant to a certain amount of of interference from from topology. So it can mm-hmm. actually go over hills slightly, pass through buildings and trees. Uh, whereas uh, Wi-Fi, you know, two walls and you're done. But uh, this uh, white space technology has the uh, has the potential to carry signals for miles, and uh, as I say, through these obstructions. The trade-off mm-hmm. is that being lower frequency, it doesn't carry as much data. So uh, there's no free lunch. So lower right, right. lower frequency, lower bit rate, uh, but it has these other properties. Our uh, our idea is to combine uh the the penetrating uh capabilities of white space with the, the universality of uh Wi-Fi and all of our devices now worldwide some 5 billion devices uh have Wi-Fi in them it's just unbelievable uh number mm-hmm. and uh, uh so how that can work to uh serve the library is is a project mm-hmm. that's the white space part uh, the the project itself is an initiative of, as you mentioned, the Gigabit Libraries Network, which is a new consortium of, uh, we say, gig-ready or gig-aspiring uh, libraries uh, anywhere in, in the world. It's, it's something of fiber to the library uh, global. So uh, it is a, a growing consortium of, of tech-savvy, innovative uh, librarians and their libraries that are looking to do different kinds of projects that are doing projects and to share their experiences and strategies for utilizing new technologies in the service of their of their uh, uh, communities and their patrons. In that mm-hmm. context, then this uh, the arrival of white space. When I say the arrival, uh, this has been ten years in the making since this was envisioned and then going through the years of discussion and uh, then the conversion, the digital television conversion, then the FCC processes of certifying the equipment, the the white space radios to uh, not interfere with other devices that may be using the, the same or similar spectrum. And then the way these radios work is they have to confer with central uh, centralized databases to find out which particular channels are available in the specific places where they're operating. So this is what they call cognitive radios, uh, and they have to, it's just different than than our Wi-Fi uh, radios. They're all radios uh, are simply tuned to a specific frequency, and they uh, simply detect uh, uh, contention. Uh, from other hotspots around them, uh, and so they they self-regulate in that sense. But white space is more complicated because you have these different channels in different places because of the the, the history of which broadcast channels were used by the traditional TV broadcasters. So it's a little more complicated, but they seem to have satisfied all these challenges, the engineering challenges, the non-interference challenges, and the technology is now uh, market-ready and since March, the, the uh, equipment has been certified. The databases are, are certified. Uh, there are new databases being certified uh, almost every day. And so now it seems like a, a time to uh, to uh, see what it can really do. Mm-hmm. Now, what? Uh, how how can libraries become part of this pilot process? And and also, how will they uh, work going forward? I know you and I, before the show started, we were talking about, um, you know, creating, in essence, almost a community or a user groups, you know, going back to the old-fashioned concept of 20 years ago. But all these different libraries will volunteer to become part of a, a group of libraries doing these pilots. But, again, how does one become a part of that process, and then how will they stay connected with each other? Well, what we uh, what we announced yesterday was an opportunity, uh, 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 actually an open call to participate. So, inviting uh, these same types of, of libraries, these tech savvy, innovative, 
libraries to to uh, 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 think about this new technology and how it might uh, either solve a, an existing problem for them or create a new benefit, a new service for them, to uh, come forward and create a uh, a project plan for a specific pilot in their place, in their in their location, and so it's open. Anybody can can do that, uh, uh, and we have a a form. Uh, that is off of the uh, the the project page at, at giglibraries.net, mm-hmm. and uh, so we'll be over the next two months uh, working with uh, anyone that's interested in putting uh, a project plan together to mm-hmm. use uh, white space radios uh, at their uh, library, and then uh, then we'll be uh, selecting the most interesting ones with the most potential to uh take the uh, uh to receive the the trial systems uh to then run those uh pilots through the end of the year with the presumption that uh that it will that if they do perform as expected that then they'll become uh permanent parts of the uh of the of the library's uh, network and that they'll They'll purchase these uh, these trial systems in the end, and that, mm-hmm. uh, that 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 purchase option will be part of the you know the prearrangement uh, going in. So uh, there are a lot of pieces to it. This is this is this is early. It's not uh, like a, a grant. This is not just sort of writing checks for people that fill out a form that kind of hits the checkbox. Uh, <laughs> these are these are real projects that people are going to have to undertake. And uh, mm-hmm. they'll be they'll be investing a lot of time, but it doesn't seem to be uh, there, it's not a big capital requirement. There's no we're not digging any trenches here or stringing any wires. This is this is wireless. As I said, there's no third party permission involved uh, in in creating this network. Uh, and and the way I would think of these networks is that these are Right now, a library facility will have one or more uh, uh, Wi-Fi access points, and that creates their own sort of, plus the w- local wiring is their own uh, you know, local network. So this is really a way to extend that in-house network beyond the facility to access points that are somewhere in the vicinity of the library. So it will be a wholly in-house network. Now the backhaul part, uh, who someone is providing uh, connectivity to the internet, uh, and that party will need to, uh, you know, agree to uh, having that that connection to the library uh, shared. So mm-hmm. we expect that these will not really be uh, problems in most places because uh, uh, the the service is not being resold. It's simply being shared, uh, you know, some level of service is already being purchased today, you know, some limit on the bandwidth for a fee. And as long as the library is using that contracted amount of service, it should be okay, even if uh, people are accessing that service from from places beyond the immediate uh, uh, facility itself. But that's mm-hmm. just one of the things that will have to come into play that, to, to have so, a, so a library, successful uh, project. Okay. Sorry? So the the website though uh will be something of a clearinghouse information sharing site, right, where people will still have so I I would say maximum flexibility, but your intent really is to try to uh be a place to gather uh information on all these various projects and help people meet each other and then collaborate and move, and move ideas forward to reality. Yes. Uh, I mean, our first step is to uh, solicit initial statements of interest. Does this sound like something that might be of value to you that you'd like to uh, get involved in? This is a, this is an exploration. This is a uh, something. It'll be an experiment for a lot of people to try something like this. So, are you, you know, is that interesting to you? And if it is, what can you imagine you might do with it? And then. Through that process of learning what the capabilities and the limitations of the technology are, 
then uh, uh, projects will be taking shape. Uh, this is our first step, and then uh, as we as we do that, the the questions, the ideas, the, the necessary uh, parts pieces of information are going to be accumulating, and, and we're looking to create a a forum for this kind of open discussion to happen. And we think there's a big opportunity because by having you know uh, a, a number of uh, libraries that are interested in exploring this, and there'll be a, a kind of a, a community learning project. Mm -hmm. And that could be when I say community here, I'm talking about you know the whole the whole project, but it also can be a community learning project in the local community where um, we've seen we've seen curriculum modules developed for uh, for Wi-Fi. For like a high school Wi-Fi uh, learning module, uh, how this actually came up is is an example of of how that can happen. This started in Kansas City, Kansas, where uh, one of the one of the branch libraries is uh, a, a, a lakeside environmental learning facility. Beautiful place and just perfect for virtual field trips. Uh, but all they have is a, is a T1 connection, so it's very slow and, and weak. And so the 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 librarian, the Kansas City, Kansas librarian, Carol Levers, uh, wanted to find a way to bring that capability up. And it's just too far to run a wire in any kind of practical sense to increase the bandwidth out there. So that that's some kind of wireless solution. Well, it's a little bit over a hill, and so that eliminates most of the wireless solutions out there, which are line of sight. There, there's a lot faster wireless communication if you can, if two radios can see each other. A lot faster and cheaper. But if they can't, if you've got obstructions, if you have a little hill to deal with, then you need these lower lower spectrums and there's just not that much of it. White space mm -hmm. is to be one of those possible places. So that that situation then led to, well, let's, you know, white space is just coming available. Let's look at that. And so the group, which actually is a consortium of the public library, the public school district, the community college, uh, the University of Kansas, and KU Medical Research Center, all all the librarians of those institutions uh, have created a consortium to look at different kinds of collaborations that they can do across the institutions. Very interesting project. Mm -hmm. And it was out of that one of those meetings that this idea came up. Uh, of possibly using you know, white space and not just using it to you know solve this connectivity problem, but also using it as a as a subject area for uh, uh, combined uh, learning projects, so that uh, mm -hmm. the community college might uh, you know, look at the, uh, the 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 technical installation process, you know, kind of technician skill level of this, and that. And that the computer science electrical engineering department at KU might be interested, you know, looking at at, at radio frequency and the, the the science and technology behind that. So, so this can become a, a learning project that actually everybody can pay attention to uh, in these different ways. At the same time, the whole community can kind of uh, understand more about communications infrastructure, wired mm -hmm. and wireless. So this is a way to, to talk about not just sort of you know Wi-Fi or now super Wi-Fi or white space, but talk about communications uh, technology and infrastructure and its role in community planning, which, mm -hmm. as I mentioned earlier, we think is one of the most important things that community can do. So now, one of the guests in the in the um, uh, chat room brought up this question, is it possible that the libraries could partner with um, post offices because post offices, particularly in rural areas, serve as a central meet communication, you know, information exchange uh, facility? I mean, obviously it's different, but it is also universal, right? You can almost, well, at least for the time being, be guaranteed there's a fair number of those you know post offices out there but but is there a way is that a logical partnership do you think that's a great idea and it's a great example of people having coming up with ways to install and utilize this so the 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 core concept is that the library facility acts as the base station 
So uh, the, 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 the TV white space base station has some backhaul connection, probably a wireline connection, and in this case it needs to have uh, some surplus capacity because it's going to share that capacity with these remote white space radios. So the configuration that we're using in these pilots is to have a single base station and three remote client radios, they're called, which are uh, 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 radios that both talk white space and also traditional Wi-Fi. So that's how uh, you create a remote hotspot that's wirelessly uh, supplied using the white space frequencies. Mm -hmm. And the locations of those remotes is one of the things to figure out. You also have to do an analysis on the specific locations to see how useful it is in that particular place and also what kind of throughput you're going to get. Because while this stuff is very uh, tolerant, it won't go through, you know, it's like Superman. It can't see through lead. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it does have limitations. And right, again, right. another trade-off, as you go through more obstacles, you lose uh, throughput. So you have mm -hmm. to evaluate what's acceptable for what kind of location, for what kind of uh, throughput. So uh, a post office is a really interesting idea of a place to locate uh, a remote uh, hotspot because the most I guess the most traded story in the in the in the rural community is of uh, people driving to the parking lot of the library, which is closed at night, but they leave their access point open, and people sit in the parking lot with their laptops, uh, you know, in the winter with the motor running, and they uh, they they do their email and they download a movie or something, and then they drive back home because they don't have connectivity where they live, so. Mm -hmm. If though if that scenario is is can be ameliorated by having another place that's a little closer to where people live, so maybe it's uh, you know maybe it's a couple of minutes away rather than fifteen minutes away, then that should represent a, a you know an increased uh, or enhanced uh, uh, service from from the library and the post office. Mm -hmm. I think there. Are, I think the number I've heard is around 9,000 uh, post office facilities. And so they, they are located in places that, where there aren't libraries, and a lot of them are in, in small towns and could make very uh, interesting uh, locations for these mm -hmm. remote clients. Of course, you've got to get permission from whoever owns the, uh, is responsible for the, for the site uh, with, most libraries, if they're looking at putting these in public spaces, which is something we think is a, uh, is appropriate since uh, uh, library Wi-Fi is open to the public, open to anybody, uh, then uh, these uh, remote hotspots should also be accessible to the public. Mm -hmm. uh, but given that, that's a lot of that's a lot of latitude, and so uh, whether somebody's going to you know, own that location is going to have to agree. So if it, mm -hmm. the, the advantage the libraries have is that libraries are typically departments of city and county government so that the public spaces, the parks or, or street corners and so forth, are typically owned by the same, the same entity who's in a position to uh, agree to uh, let one of these client radios be located there. Mm -hmm. uh, I we'll do want to say, though, that this is not to be confused with you know, Muni Wi-Fi. This is in no way an idea to create a, you know, a cloud over a whole area or a region. These are a number of remote library hotspots served by the central library facility to make uh, access to uh, library uh, broadband more convenient to more patrons. And, right, and it's a facility. That, that we think is ambitious enough. And, and, now, and, sorry, what? what about? Let me let me interrupt you for a second. What about um, school K through twelve schools, high schools, and college libraries? Because there are a fair number of them. Will they have some sort of role to play in this uh, pilot process? Do you think? They certainly could. Um, a, a little known fact is that public college and university libraries are actually public libraries. That anyone can go into those facilities and like they can walk into any public library, they can 
walk in, sit down, pull something off the shelf, uh, and or uh, log in to an open uh, hotspot. Uh, you need to be a member, as you do with a public library, to uh, uh, you know to check out materials, and, and there are other things that are restricted. But those facilities would make uh, good good uh, places, either for, as base stations or as remotes, but they don't make sense as remotes because they nearly all have superior wireline uh, communications. There are some situations, uh, and there is a pilot at the, uh, at the University of West Virginia uh, that is being uh, guided by the New America Foundation, which has been working on white space for, for years, uh, is helping the university there uh, do a, uh, a pilot where they put a base station on the campus and they're going to put clients along a, uh, a train line. This is a, a, a kind of a linear campus about three miles long, and they're going to put uh, uh, client uh, hotspots along the train line for convenience. So mm -hmm. that's a kind of a situation where, you know, it could work for a, a large university campus. The schools are a, a different matter. One, because uh, schools don't offer, typically offer, uh, open uh, Internet access. They, they offer it for themselves, uh, but that's not their, not, not their mission, is to provide the public with uh, any kind of particular access. Mm -hmm. That said, increasingly we are seeing school libraries, which are uh, open after hours, which in fact do uh, play the role of a public library. When, when school is out, and in that case, uh, that very much could be, uh, you know, uh, a one one type of a configuration. The other thing that, that that this may be good for is simply its penetrating power, where it's just too expensive to run wires uh, all around a, maybe a large building that uh, a white space base station could feed hotspots in the the same building, but uh, has the capacity to go through uh, floors and walls that would otherwise obstruct traditional Wi-Fi. So there are a lot of ways to skin this cat, and you know, ideas like uh, teaming up with the post office to install a client uh, hotspot uh, is just the kind of thing we're we're hoping will emerge out of the process. Mm -hmm. This is uh, very definitely very interesting. Let's uh, talk a little bit about going a little afield of the. Um, this particular pilot project, but again, earlier before we went live, you and I were talking about, you know, the FCC's role and in the area of, of white space in general. I mean, basically your project uh, or, or this initiative is looking at one aspect of trying to bring uh, TV white space more into the mainstream, but there are there are some some challenges. You know, you talked about uh, you know, we had a burst of interest, and then it kind of faded. So, what might be causing that sort of that roller coaster ride, and how might the FCC uh, maybe hasten this, um, you know, this adoption of TV white space along? Well, I think they've been doing a pretty good job, actually, Craig. They, you know, mm -hmm. they they have to mediate among all the contending interests which are manifold and not without influence. And so they have, they have managed things the way they do, you know, step by step, and they satisfy all of the issues or, or certainly try as they go along. And so these specific uh, uh, periods of trial and testing for non-interference and the databases and the equipment and so forth has been uh, moving apace. And, you know, there there was just an announcement uh, a couple of days ago that a new, uh, a third database has now been certified. So uh, that means that more people are investing in the uh, in the technology uh, and have expectations for it. I think one of the issues has been that uh, that the it's because it's unlicensed spectrum and nobody controls it. It's more difficult to figure out what to, you know, how to monetize that in a traditional mm -hmm. way. If you own some spectrum, you know, man, you just sell services 
through your through your phones or your uh, antenna that use that spectrum, and you know that's it. There's, that's a pretty well established business model. But when it's when it's a shared spectrum, uh, an open spectrum, an unlicensed spectrum, and you're not certain how it's going to operate and how contentious it's going to be for people out there trying to use it, and so it just makes it more difficult for for a private uh, venture to come up with a, a good business model. Uh, that said, there are uh, a, one of the big uh, hope, hopes for uh, white space technology is in the uh, this called M2M space, machine-to-machine communications. I was uh, uh, referring to that indirectly earlier when I was talking about uh, smart infrastructure where you have these uh, you know, sensors and controllers embedded in places throughout your water system, your electrical system, whatever, and that they're carrying fairly small bits of information. So that looks like a very promising area for white space. So mm-hmm. that's, that's one thing. We're looking at this uh, potential for really a, uh, a public service by the library to uh, leverage their, their bandwidth if they have, you know, an extra 10 to 15 megabits for a particular facility, uh, to share that more widely as a basic level of no-fee service. No guarantee, no fee. Uh, and so hopefully the expectations will uh, will be, uh, you know, lower, that it's, it's not going to be a place for, you know, 12 people to to crowd around and all stream you know their the latest Netflix video. It just may not support that much uh, that much demand, but it will mm-hmm. support you know basic services. And, and it, as we say, you know, for a lot of people, the first megabit is so much more valuable than the next ninety nine megabits uh, because connectivity itself, having basic connectivity, is uh, is well, we're just bought into the idea that this is an essential service. It's a mm-hmm. basic service. It's uh, it's practically a human right, I guess. You could right, say right. That. I believe the libraries feel that they provide services that, that constitute uh, uh, a human right access to uh, mm-hmm. you know, the world's information. Not all of it, and not you know in a way that uh, that a lot of us are paying quite a bit of money for, but some basic level of service that everybody has a right to uh, to access. So um, it's a it's a market in formation, clearly. And mm-hmm. It's uh, it looks like a real opportunity to leverage an existing historical traditional service of, of library uh, access uh, for more people more conveniently. Mm-hmm. Now, if um, I just want to kind of come back to a point regarding the technology. So, if a library already has um, fiber running in, because like a number of uh, the broadband stimulus projects put money into uh, running connections out to you know, libraries as as public ins- as uh, community institutions, anchor institutions, and so if a com- if a library has fiber backhaul, does that enable them to have a more potent uh, TV white space uh, capability? Well, the white space capability uh, is that's one part of it. That's the back end of it. So you have to have bandwidth available to share. And a lot of the libraries uh, that were funded under the, uh, the the BTOP and the BIP program, the one that was managed by uh, uh, RUS, the, the Rural Utility Service under the Department of Agriculture, uh, have uh, you know now they have faster connections. A lot they're you know uh, uh, I think a thousand to two thousand. I believe a couple of thousand libraries have now fiber connections that didn't have it before. And presumably they have at least a temporary situation where they have more bandwidth than they than they actually are using or can use right now. They went from, you know, not enough to maybe more than they can uh, than they need for the moment even as they're trying to uh, satisfy new kinds of demands. But uh uh, but there will be lots of libraries that do have enough backhaul that they can share, you know, 10 or 15 megabits through through one of these white space base stations. 
Mm-hmm. Now on the uh, the the uh, uh, the front end, the white space then is limited by the availability of broadcast channels in a particular area. So it doesn't work everywhere. In places where there are a lot of broadcast channels, broadcast stations, you know, uh, Manhattan, San Francisco Bay Area where you and I live, uh, mm-hmm. L.A., it, it's just there's nothing available. But that leaves a lot of places and a lot of people where lots of channels are available. And mm-hmm. so that's part of the analysis that the that the project teams need to do is to see how many channels are available in their area uh, to use for this. Right. And that's uh, and that's the purpose of the, the database, right, is to be able to find and assign uh, to the available channels that are in an area, right, as part of the exactly. infrastructure. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this should prove I mean, the radio. Be... The radios do this automatically, but to do mm-hmm. an analysis, you check channel availability, and we have uh, we have links on the on the gig libraries dot net project site that goes to those uh, to the, the the sites that show what channels are available if you put in an address. Mm-hmm. There's a um, uh, there's a couple of comments flying around here about. What I would consider the 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 value of looking at some of the I don't know non traditional ways that wireless is being approached in a number of other uh, countries. I mean, you have Google doing this thing with the you know the hot air balloons or the weather balloons uh, as as an approach, which is obviously wireless and uh, definitely different. Um, you know, but it's obviously experimental. But then again you know, from one person or one country's experiment, you know, you can develop ideas for, you know, how you might modify that, you know, that that approach uh, here in the U.S. And there's also another entity called Village Telco, which is a uh, Wi-Fi-based mesh network uh, in in Africa. So I I guess the, the, the point I'm trying to make is that we are obviously looking to each other as part of this initiative, as part of this um, Gigabit Libraries Network initiative. But simultaneously, I think we need to be pushing our library folks to look at other countries and some of the innovations that are happening there in wireless and figure out where there's an overlap, a fit, a potential long-distance collaboration, what have you. Right? That would seem to be logical. I uh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, this is definitely not a uh, a be all end all. This is one particular type of configuration using a specific uh, technology and frequency to do you know this one thing and providing wireless uh, wireless backhaul to these uh, remote uh, hot library hotspots. Uh, but it may not be the best technology in places, even places where there are channels. There mm-hmm. may be lines of sight that are available where you can get a cheaper, faster wireless connection to a remote uh, location if you mm-hmm. wanted to create a hotspot there. So it is uh, it is really a process of analysis of of what what technologies to use where. Mm-hmm. And the fact that uh, that people are trying a lot of different things with unlicensed spectrum, I think, is is part of the point of making uh, some amount of spectrum unlicensed. It allows this kind of innovation and creativity by uh, engineers and entrepreneurs to come up with new, interesting ways to use this technology, and they don't really need anybody's permission to do it. The mm-hmm. permission has already been given, basically. Right. Use equipment that conforms to the to the rules, then you know do whatever you want to. Right. And so uh, I think this is I think this is a really positive development. We are getting a lot of inquiry from from outside of the U.S. and expect that this will that this idea can go uh, go more widely quickly. If if in fact there is a lot of need and and the equipment is uh, as advertised and you perform then very likely we have a market in the making and a global market at that because you're right, a lot of places are doing interesting projects outside of the U.S. in white space uh, mm-hmm. today. In a lot of ways, uh, they're ahead of the U.S. in the use of this uh, technology, even as the technology itself is uh, uh, mostly being created inside of the U.S. Mm-hmm. But that's, uh, so that, that's a really interesting part. It also matches with the uh, 
the Gig Libraries Network, which is a global consortium of, of libraries. So we are looking to to extend this as far as it's it's as it's ready to go as soon as it's ready to go. Mm -hmm. Now, is it possible that um, smaller local providers such as WISP and regional telcos could become uh, – it would be easier for them to build a business case than, say, for the large companies? It's, uh, it is a, uh, it's a good point uh, about the so-called WISP, the, the wireless Internet service providers, uh, this is a population of providers, commercial providers, that are out there now uh, delivering services wirelessly in, well, everywhere, especially in the in the outer reaches beyond where most of the wired infrastructure goes. And many of these uh, WISPs are anxious to get their hands on this white space technology as a way to extend those wireless networks to places where their current technologies, which as I say are mostly rely on line of sight uh, or building, you know, uh, towers uh, are, are, are prohibitive. They're trying mm -hmm. to analyze the cost return uh, ratio on uh, buying this equipment and how much they can charge for services that it will deliver. So. This is this is a very important uh, population of of commercial users, and I would say partners in developing these uh, pilot projects. Have mm -hmm. someone that will actually uh, be there to do the installation and uh, and uh, maintenance and discovering basically how how much is involved in doing that is one of the one of the things to be determined through the pilot. Are these, mm -hmm. you know, can you just mail it out and somebody pops it up? I don't think so. But does somebody have to go there every day to maintain it? Well, let's hope not. So right. something in between uh, and what exactly that is and how is it different in different places is uh, is part of what we're all hoping to learn. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you need to, to, to go soon, but I wanted to bring up an interesting point in this discussion about WISP, uh, uh, one of the audience members who's WISP and one of my regular uh uh, visitors here brings up the point that not only libraries but schools and government offices um, are important to the mix of, of partnerships and customers and providers. And you know, could I have mentioned earlier, asked the question earlier? You know, could post offices, because you know many or most communities have one, might serve as a way to augment. And you pointed out them being maybe remote nodes for the you know for the library you know the hub library uh i i would say based on you know what i'm reading that uh you know school buildings uh government offices you know they might have wi-fi you know there should be some creative way that all of those can be brought together and and subsequently facilitating this this effort um technically technologically but also logistically, uh, you know, providing support, and then monetarily, ultimately, because they become part of that customer base, you know, for the, from the from the from the WIS perspective. All possible. Uh, we're the last ones to say, you know, what's not possible, mm -hmm. and this is, you know, this is open stuff. Uh, nobody needs our permission to do anything in this. Uh, we're just trying to. Uh, initiate a conversation and, and, and elevate uh, the most interesting projects that people can come up with, you know, in the next two months. Mm -hmm. Other than that, you know, the market is free to go. Uh, it's free to go today. You can call up one of these providers, get a get a request for proposal, and you know, and and just do it. Uh, we mm -hmm. hope that you would, uh, you know, join the community and and let us know what you're doing. But you don't need us uh, to do that. And for anybody that is interested and or wants to kind of have this sort of conversation, keep it going, and pay attention, and, and, and put put new ideas in uh, the the blog, which is uh, a uh, a Google Plus community off the Gig Library site, is open to anybody to uh, to register, and that's where comments will be uh, posted. Though so we're looking to create a more active forum. Uh, that we should be able to announce in the next few days. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if we can, 
if there's a, you have another question, maybe we can we can wrap here. Well, I was going to just basically ask you, you know, what would be your parting, uh, you know, thought on, you know, communities that might be listening to this and say, well, should we or shouldn't we? Maybe they're almost convinced. You know, what what's the kicker here? What's the key reason why communities should really explore getting their libraries to be part of this this initiative? Well, I want to I want to make a distinction between you know, making an open call to participate in a sales pitch. Um, I, we're not doing that. Uh, we're right. doing the latter. Uh, we are inviting people that see opportunity here and will bring new ideas rather than uh, looking for us to, uh, you know, tell them why this is good for them and that they should do it. Uh, if the pilots all work, I would expect that that would be really the next phase for for uh, even early adopters uh, to need some convincing. But I would say that the, you know, the simplest concept is that if you believe that uh, your library uh, would benefit from having more places to access digital library services, one of which is the Internet, but not entirely. There are a lot of uh, digital resources and services which uh, libraries provide that don't involve the Internet, and that even having this as a new wide area communications network, even autonomous uh, network, uh, has a lot of value. And these are all uh, kind of suppositions. So we're looking for the, the people that are uh, a little bit adventurous, that have an experimental mindset, that are, you know, prepared to innovate and, and take leading roles. So I don't want to I don't want to be trying to convince people that this is for them because it may not be. Uh, but I think there's enough evidence out there, there are enough stories out there that the, the people that we expect to come forward can make their make their case for their particular situation. And we mm -hmm. just hope that they'll take the time to go through that and think about it and uh and get involved. Excellent. Now one of the one of the audience members suggested you guys set up a Facebook page, which I agree is uh is a good adjunct. I mean I probably shouldn't take too much extra time, you know, to do that and then link it from the you know, from the website and vice versa, uh, you know, to be out there where everybody is. Well, it's a good suggestion. Uh we're trying to kind of manage the the various social channels. Um uh, and Facebook certainly is is a big one. We're we're actually looking at, at you know all of the different channels of communication, and of course you can't do that without uh, looking at Facebook. We're just getting going, and <laughs> and I suspect we'll uh, we'll do that pretty pretty soon. Uh, LinkedIn is another one of our favorites. It's also a favorite uh, among librarians uh, who are really at the crux of all this, and our heroes. Excellent. Well, on that note, I'm going to let you be off because I know you're really busy today on the heels of everything else that's going on. Uh, thank you for being my, my guest. You know, you do this two two more times, and I'll, I'll just make you a guest host. And <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Craig. We always appreciate your interest and, uh, and the people that uh, tune in. Excellent, excellent. Um, and then we can get you uh, via link. People can get to you via LinkedIn too, as well as you like a like through a LinkedIn profile. Yes, yes. Don Means should turn me up. Excellent. All right. Cool. Well, you have a great rest of your day, and uh, again, thanks for being on the show. Uh, thank you to our audience for uh, checking in with us. I know that the again the white space uh, the TV white space topic is rather uh, a popular one, at least in certain circles. Now that we just bring this thing forward and start coming up with some really good, you know, cool, innovative ideas, I think that everyone here is going to uh, to benefit. So uh, we will be back on the air again soon. Everybody uh, keep in touch, and we'll talk again soon. <laughs>